Hello Mosaic, I'm Doreen and I'm going to be reading Acts 20, 17 through 28 in German. Von Melith auch schickte Paulus jedoch einen Boten mit der Nachricht nach Ephesus, dass er gern mit der Leitern der Gemeinde sprechen würde. Als sie alle gekommen waren, sagt er zu ihnen, ihr wisst, wie ich mich während meines ganzen Aufenthalts in der Provinz Asia verhalten habe. Und zwar vom ersten Tag an. Ohne an mich selbst zu denken, habe ich dem Herrn gedient. Oft unter Tränen und in schweren Prüfungen, weil die Juden mich verfolgten. Ihr wisst auch, dass ich nicht verschwiegen habe. Ich habe euch alles gepredigt und gelehrt, was eure Rettung dient. Öffentlich aber auch in euren Häusern. Juden wie Nichtjuden habe ich erdringlich aufgefordert, dass sie zu Gott empören und an Jesus und sein Heim glauben sollen. Ich gehe jetzt nach Jerusalem und es ist der Heilige Geist, der mich dazu drängt. Was dort mit mir geschehen wird, weiß ich nicht. Nur dies eine weiß ich, dass mir Gefangenschaft und Leiden erwarten. Denn das bestätigt mir der Heilige Geist deutlich in allen Ständen, in ich besuche. Aber mein Leben ist mir nicht wichtig. Vielmehr viel will ich bis zum Schluss den Auftrag ausführen, den mir Jesus, der Herr, gegeben hat. Die rettende Botschaft von Gottes Gnade zu verkünden. Hört, was ich euch nun sagen möchte. Ich weiß, dass keiner von euch, denen ich von Gottes Reich gepredigt und bei denen ich gelebt habe, mich weiter zu, zu wiedersehen wird. Deshalb erkläre ich euch heute, ich bin nicht schuld daran, wenn, wenn einer von euch verloren geht. Denn ich habe nicht verschwiegen, sondern ich euch den ganzen Plan Gottes zur Rettung der Welt verkündet. Von jetzt an müsst ihr auch euch selbst achten und auf die ganze Gemeinde, für die euch der Heilige Geist als Hirten angesetzt hat. Ihr sollt die Gemeinde Gottes hüten, die er sich die er sich durch das Blut deines Sohnes erworben hat. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated wherever you may be. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we do declare this is, this is your word of God, and we don't have to declare it. Your, your word self-attests it. It, it, is, uh, it is your word. And so, Lord, may we hear from you this morning. We need it. Uh, we need it more than we need uh, breath and oxygen. We need it more than we need food and water, Lord. We need you. Uh, and so, Jesus, would uh, you make that real to us, our, our longing to hear from you this morning. And, Lord, would you meet that need this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let me ask you this question. Um, have you ever considered what is going to be on your tombstone one day? getting dark. Uh, <laughs> when we die, and every single one of us will die one day, uh, what do you want to be known for? You know, what, what do you want written on your epitaph? Um, like, I mean, let's think past today. Let's think past next week. Think past next year. Let's think, you know, even big picture, big, big picture. What do you want people to be th to thinking of you? Like, man, that guy, he was Or that, that woman, she was, you know, what, what do you want people to know you as and to remember you as? Well, here, here's a few examples that, that I've seen um, online. Uh, and so this one guy, if you can see the picture here, um, he said he loved bacon and his wife and kids. <laughs> and if you see, the bacon is much bigger than everything else. <laughs> really? Really? 
Is that what you want to be remembered for? I hope that's not real. Um, this other one, I'm pretty sure is real, though. Um, this other guy, he has put down here, my loss, but your gain. Uh, <laughs> it makes me wonder, is he just like a really, uh, maybe very uh, rich person, and he gave away his inheritance by his loss and their gain? Or maybe, and this is the way I'm interpreting it, um, he was just very insufferable. <laughs> And so his loss is their gain. I, I, I don't know. Uh, um, but let me ask you, what about you? What would you like people to remember you as? What would you like to have written on your tombstone? I mean, how do you want your legacy to be, to be remembered? We're talking about, you know, if you were to be remembered to be you know, this lasting legacy, what people say about you, what would that be? Well, I would suggest to you today that I, I, I want all of us to be remembered as a loser. And I'm not saying that in the negative way. <laughs> I don't want people to like, you're idiots, you're terrible. I want you to be thinking of, to have a, a losing legacy and not one like the Dallas Cowboys over the last 10, 20 years. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, what I'm trying to say <laughs> is, I mean, one who, who loses their life for others. And so today, I want every one of us to be known as losers in that regard, in only that regard. Psalm 90, 12 says, teach us to number our days. So teach us to number our days. For Lord, help me count my days, that these are all valuable. And so as we look at today's passage, Paul is, is going to speak to the, the Ephesian elders, the, the leaders of the church in Miletus, and he's given them his last will and testament. And I think if we look at this, it's a picture of something to be desired, right? Like, this is his legacy. Like, now some of y'all might be thinking, well, okay, our church isn't really full of a lot of retirees. Um, why should we be talking about legacy? And I think it's important in this regard, because how you plan to end your life determines how you live it here today. And so if your plan for the end of your life is that you're, you're hooked on the American dream and, and you want to build up such a large nest egg that you just really want the end of your life just to be relaxing and, and doing nothing, if that's true, then that, that's going to drive you right now. That'll, that'll make you in this time right now feel like you need to be cutthroat and that all that I care about right now is how hard I work to, to build that up. That is so important to me because at the end of my life, that's real life. That's where real life is. Life doesn't start until then. That's the blissful future. And I, I think if what happens, though, if someone threatens that future, like they're threatening your life. They're threatening everything that you are working towards. And so I think Paul and the Bible want to tell you, though, you're not dreaming big enough. Like, I, I don't think it's wrong to plan for that future. I think the Bible says there's a lot of wisdom in planning for the future. Um, I think there's a, there's a lot of good things to be, to be thinking through in that regard. But I think, I think Scripture is telling you that you're thinking too small. Plan to that, but plan past that. Plan a couple years past that. Plan into eternity is what I believe the Scripture is going to tell us. And so today I want us to see that a lasting, losing legacy is worth far more than all the riches that we could muster. And so let's look at this in three ways. The, this legacy is more than just living adrift. It's more than just being driven. It is a draining of your life for something bigger. And so as we look at this passage, just for review, if you remember last week, Paul, um, he, he, prior to being in Troas, he was in Ephesus, and he spent three years in Ephesus. And that, that's like on the west coast of Greece. 
Uh, and he's been teaching and building up this church. You can see he talk, talks about this at the end of verse 31. For three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And so he, he was three years admonishing them night and day, it says, with tears. And, and if we go back one chapter earlier in Acts 19, we find out that Paul was very successful in Ephesus. So we joked about how much he wanted to leave it, but he was very successful in Ephesus. I mean, it says in 1910 that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. All the residents of Asia heard the word. And so there might have been a reason that, that the beasts were coming after Paul, that the riots were breaking out. It was because he was very effective in, in Ephesus. He was making waves. And so Paul is saying now he's trying to hurry to Jerusalem, and he's trying to get there by possible by the day of Pentecost. Um, but before he does that, he, he, he wants to have this tombstone speech with these elders, the, this, this, this last moment, this, this, this Mufasa to Simba speech. I don't know if we should do it. <laughs> I thought about it. I think it might be distracting. I thought about having Malcolm do a voiceover of Mufasa to Simba. Uh, go ahead, Malcolm. Just. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. But we should do. Okay. Well, that's, that was the Lord saying, let's not do it. But you know what we're talking about, where, where Mufasa is, is trying to, to impart to Simba, saying that wherever the light goes, I don't know. <laughs> but he's having this moment of saying, I want to train you, train this next generation. And this is what Paul's doing. He wants to train this next generation for what's to come. <laughs> we don't really have to have this. <laughs> and so Paul is telling them, here, here's what he says to them uh, in, in essence, though. And it, sometimes it's shocking as we read, read this passage, because there's a lot in this passage where Paul is saying, is talking about himself. And you kind of feel a little like, why are you building yourself up? But elsewhere in 1 Corinthians, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. And so it's not to build Paul up. He's saying, follow me as I, as I follow Christ, because I, as your leader, like, I need to be on board with this as well. I can't just talk about it. I have to walk the walk as well. And so how does, how does his life look? Well, one, it's more, his life was more than a drift. I mean, do you ever feel like your life is just drifting? That like you ever get on one of those like the boogie boards or rafts and you go past the waves where where the waves push you in you go all the way past that and you just drift for a while and you're not sure which direction you're gonna go or maybe you just get on one of those rafts in a pool and you just kind of like I don't care where it takes me I just wanna just wanna drift that sounds nice right now <laughs> I'll be honest like I, I'm starting to feel some of this decision fatigue of all the things that we have to decide during this pandemic like what should we do here 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 and. That sounds nice, like just to say, I'm not going to make another decision. I'm just going to close my eyes and drift. And I'm just going to go where, where, the, where the wind takes me. No plan. There's no hurry, no hustle. We're just going to be. And it does sound beautiful. But here's the problem. I've never met anyone who drifted towards godliness. I've never met anyone who's drifted towards godliness or righteousness, but I've met people who've drifted away from it. Yeah. And so it, you can see that when people are, 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 are actually crucifying the sin and, and, and mortifying sin, there's a, there's a purpose behind it, um, and there, there's, there's a work behind it. Um, and verse 18 um, says, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. So here, you, you yourselves know. Here's how it is in verse 19. 
serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plot of the Jews. And so Paul is telling us that the mark of the true follower of Christ, the mark of a true leader, is not Bentleys and personal jets, though many apostles want to say this is the mark of that they've gotten, you know, the, 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 the anointing of the Lord. Paul, Paul is saying... Just living life and, and, and where th- things may take you actually isn't going to do it. What, what a real apostle is, he's afflicted by pain, by problems, and by prison. Like, <laughs> with pain, problems, and prison, real apostles are marked by death. Like, <laughs> verse 20, You know how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. So why would he not shrink from teaching them something? Well, if he was afraid of the, the backlash that might come at him. And if whenever you speak biblical truth, it will always offend a culture. Now, we're not saying biblical truth is, is offensive in itself or annoying or oppressive, but when you speak the truth, it is going to stir up conflict because it is going to convict souls. Like the, the, the word will, will comfort and we want it to comfort, but it also will convict and so if you, wherever you're at, like if you're in an Eastern culture and we start talking about God's love and his forgiveness, that will sound ludicrous to the Eastern culture. But here in the West, we're saying that's the best part of Christianity. But likewise, here in the West, we, we, whenever we, we talk about God's view of, of, of marriage or his, or his view of how we spend our money, then we get really uncomfortable. But we go to, in the Eastern cultures and we say, oh, that, that, that sounds logical because God's sovereignty would, would reach onto these areas as well. And so I think what we need to see is that God's word is going to confront and going to um, challenge the culture, and he, we can't be shrinking from that. Although, wouldn't it be nice to just not have to say anything, <laughs> just living adrift? Well, the same thing happens to Paul. In verse 21, it says, He's testifying to both Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so repentance and faith. Repentance is a, is a call to turn from sin. So he's saying, both you Jews and Greeks, you're both wrong. <laughs> he's not making any friends. You're, you, you got a lot of problems, right? <laughs> I want to tell you that you are, you are in sin and you have to turn from that. But then you also have to turn to, and this is faith, turn to or put your hope and trust in something that you, don't, that you can't see, right? And so this, if you want to know how to, how to become a believer, this is it, to repent and to turn to Jesus. So repentance and faith. But this is not sometimes a well-received message. And this doesn't sound like the good life that Paul could have been getting if he was one of those other apostles. Uh, when you, we might be wondering, why can't we just drift? Like, why can't we as Christians just let it be? Like, why can't we just let someone else worry about this? Well, let me just tell you this. I looked this up. There are right now 7.8 billion people in the world. 7.8 billion people, and, and, and a rough estimate of how many Christians are in the world is roughly about 2 billion Christians in the world right now. And so if you do the math, that means right now, to this day, there are 5.8 billion people who are destined for hell. And if that's true, we can't just keep drifting Like, we can't just keep the status quo. We need more churches. We need more people, more missionaries. We need more people who have a conviction like Paul. I mean, verse 22, he says, And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem. It says, I'm constrained. Literally, I'm bound. 
I am bound by the Spirit to go there. Something is pulling him. It, it's binding him. This mysterious rope is, being, is pulling him. And who, who is pulling him? The Spirit. The Holy Spirit is pulling him to Jerusalem out of love for these people who don't know Jesus. How many of you have, have, have this, this pull? How many of you feel like something is pulling you? You have this conviction that this is what God is calling me to. Or how many of you feel adrift? Just kind of wandering aimlessly. And I think, I think, I believe that most of us actually want to feel that, that call, want to feel that, that, that pull from, from somewhere, that we want to be a part of that bigger rescue plan. I think we all want to be a part of that, but I think we're, we're held back by, I think, two things. And I'll, I'll say one now and I'll say one later. I think one of the reasons that we are held back by that is the fear of the unknown, of going, if I step out in faith, where will this take me? Like, fear of the what if, fear of failure, fear, 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 and, and it's fear and worry. What that really is, is you're saying to God, I'm afraid that your plan isn't good enough. Like, fear is saying, I have a good plan, and I'm, I'm afraid, God, you're going to muck up my plan. I mean, that really is honestly what that is. It is, is, is really us doubting God's sovereignty. And so in our heads, we can say, yes, of course God's sovereign. But as we fear, we doubt that. And so Paul says in 22, he's constrained or bound by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there in Jerusalem, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. So in every city I go, I'm hearing the Spirit behind me and saying, things are going to get worse. Imprisonment and inflictions are awaiting you. And so, I mean, even with prison, even with, with pain awaiting me, he says, I'll go. Even with, with not knowing what will happen, but the only thing that I can be sure of what's actually going to happen is afflictions and prison, I'm going to go. Why? Because verse 24, I do not count my life of any value. I mean, that is... That is powerful. Paul is saying, he's not saying throw your life away. He's not saying, you know, throw your life away and be reckless and, and, and endanger others. What he's saying here is that I count others' lives more important than my own. It's a reorienting of what matters. Like, if God takes everything away from me, like if my house burns down tonight, I know that I will be all right because I have God with me. Like, if I die by bringing the people of Jerusalem the gospel and they hear and they believe, I haven't lost anything. Like, I haven't lost. If I give my life, not to reach 5 billion people, none of us can reach 5 billion people, but if I give my life to reach two people, like, if, I, if we got, gave our lives to reach two people, like, our life hasn't been wasted. <laughs> like, we will now have a friend and another friend for eternity. Like, it is, it is worth it. Acts 20, verse 24, I think is a life changer. That if, if the Christian gets their mind wrapped around that and, 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 and owns that, I think that would change us drastically. Like, if we see this life isn't just only a couple chapters, like our lives right now, it isn't just a couple of chapters. This, like, it's only a couple chapters here on earth, but it goes on and on and on for eternity. That that's what our story is going to be. Like, that, I think that would change how we live here on earth. Yeah. And so if the Ephesian elders got that, like that would change that church. That church is going to be radical. And if, if Mosaic gets this, like we could be radical. We could have a bigger dream, a bigger vision of reaching those who don't know Jesus. Yeah. 
And so our lives need to be marked by being more than a drift, but I think they also need to be marked by more than being driven. And now I, I think this point sounds like it counteracts the first point. But I think maybe you have as well, but I've read many bi- biographies of missionaries, and, you know, how they, they've, they've gone and, and they, they've, they've given their lives for Jesus, and, it, and it's, it's kind of romantic uh, the way we, we read about missionaries. But I think we also hear how some of these missionaries left their families behind. Or maybe they, they had a, a child die and they didn't even come back to see the child. That they, they just, they gave up that, that tie of, the, of their, their, their call as a husband and a father. And I think even in our culture here today, I think if you know this, you know that there, there, is, there is a stigma about being a pastor's kid. And I remember when, I, when, when our, our firstborn Knox was, was born, um, I, I was just getting ordained, going through the process Malcolm was going through. And I went to 30 different pastors in, a, in our uh, area and just asked them the question, does your kid still know the Lord? And if so, how'd you, how'd you make that happen? Because I'm just dead. I'm like, if that's, if that's the case, if this is what happens, then we don't need to do this. And those... I was encouraged. They, they said, yeah, my kid's still walking with the Lord. Um, and every pastor's recommendation was simple. They just said, give him time. Like, give him time. Give him your, give him your ministry. Like, give him your focus and your love. And I think we, we, if, if we leave our families for ministry, we're doing it wrong. Like, if, 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 we, if we're saying that our, our ministry is more important than our families, we've lost. Likewise, if we think that if, if life is about more about what we can do for God than what God's already doing, and we're just kind of jumping in, like, we've not, we've not understood it well. Like, and so I think, yeah, Paul is driven. He's very driven. Like, he's living life with a purpose. But I think we need to see it, how tender Paul actually is. Like, Paul's main charge to these Ephesian elders is to, is to act like shepherds. I mean, and so it's very, very tender moment. So he's, he's in this position of authority as an elder, but the, the role of an elder is twofold. It, it is one, to protect, and it's two, to feed. And so the, if you are protecting your flock, and Paul talks about this here in this passage, that you're protecting it from wolves, right? That if, if a wolf is ready to pounce on the sheep, you're, you as the elder are supposed to protect your sheep as the shepherd. And what that protection is going to look like is not just protection from outside wolves, but it's also from wolves who might be looking like sheep. And that's the scary part, is that there are, there are sheep who are wolves who are parading around as sheep. And so their ideas can sound so good. They can sound so true, but they are deadly. And so if our doctrine pushes us to, to, to say, you know, love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, but does not say to love our neighbors as ourselves, that's a wolf. And likewise, if if our doctrine says love your neighbors, but don't love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, that's a wolf. Like we need to, we as shepherds need to be on guard against this, against this false doctrine. That's what these wolves are. They're, They're false teachers. And we need to root out any false doctrine that we may hear because it can be deadly. Literally. Wolves, I mean, what do you think about wolves? Wolves travel in packs, right? I mean, so think of what God is asking of the shepherd. Protect the sheep from this pack of wolves. 
Like, get cut, get bit, get called names, lose families and friends, and maybe even your church, out of love for your sheep. So that your sheep don't get devoured. Lay your life down for them. But then it also says, feed the sheep as well. Give them the whole counsel of God. And so from the Old Testament to the New Testament, tell them about the God who deeply cares about their worship, but he deeply cares about the poor, about the oppressed, about the widow, about the fatherless. I mean, tell stories of grace and mercy, but also tell stories of justice and exodus. It needs to be the whole council, feed them the whole scriptures, love them, care for them. And so in our drive to reach the lost, may we not overlook the sheep as well. And so we need to be more than driven, but more than uh, adrift, we need to be drained. And I think that's the picture of what we're seeing here. Like, it's, it's a very intimate passage. Like, Paul, like there, it, it is not apathy, it's not anger, it, it is agony of what we see with Paul here. I mean, it's a passage that begins and ends in tears, right? It begins and ends in tears, and there's hugging, and even at the end, there's kissing. I think it's culturally appropriate, kissing. <laughs> like, these people are so sad they will never see Paul again. It feels like an amputation because they love him. And why do they love him like that? Because Paul poured out everything for them. I mean, this is the lasting losing legacy. That not what, we, what can we take from this world, but when we lose our grips on this world, what, like what is left? I mean, you can't take anything with you, right? Like can, you can take a nice suit maybe? Maybe like a casket full of rubies? I don't think that's true. Like, we have, we have nothing, and so you might as well just give it away anyways. Paul says in verse 33, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel, and he goes on to say, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Why does he say that? Is it just something that we, we tell our children at Christmas time, it's better to give than to receive? No, it's the truth of the world. Like, if we try to save our lives, that's what ruins it. <laughs> We waste them. It's in our grips to hold on to this world that we're actually losing it. And you know this to be true. If you can think back over your life, think back over those times where you've, you've had a day where you've, or a month where you've felt like, like a vacuum cleaner, where you're just constantly sucking things towards you and making everything about you, making everyone serve you and, and bringing in everything and bending everything towards you. At the end of the day, you feel restless. You don't feel satisfied. You don't feel whole. What you feel is that, is that chasing after the wind that Ecclesiastes talks about. And so we're just chasing after the wind with all of this. But if we give our lives away, we actually save it. I mean, it's a draining that our lives for the Lord that actually doesn't sap us. It strengthens us. Like when we, when we give our lives away, it does not sap our strength. It actually gives us strength. And Jesus says the same thing in Luke 9. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And so Paul drains himself of his life for the sake of those who don't know Jesus. I mean, he does it happily because it fills him. And I wonder, can that be said of us? That we, that we would just drain our lives for those who don't know Jesus. And I, again, I think many of us want to be a part of that. We want to say yes to that. I think we, we want to say yes to be a part of that bigger vision, part of that bigger plan. But as we said before, I think we're held back by two things. And one of them was the fear of the own. And the other, I think, is just distraction. Yeah. Tell me if, if this is something true of you. You ever said, like, 
Lord, from this day forward. Oh, nothing happened. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right, okay. <clears throat> Let's try this again. Lord, I commit my life to you. I will be on mission, but... Okay, tomorrow I need to go to the bank, and I need to renew my license, and... Okay, okay, Tuesday. Tu Tuesday, Lord, I will give everything for you. Does that resonate? That is, I mean, that's so discouraging. You say, like, I'm going to make it work this time. I want to follow Jesus, but, okay, I need to, you know, take care of my finances. Uh, I, I, I love Jesus, but I also love comfort. Uh, <laughs> I love Jesus, but I don't really want to move. Um, <laughs> like, <laughs> there's so many things that distract us. And so it's not that we're, we're against this greater vision. We just get distracted by this other flashy light over here. And so it's like... The good things take away from the best thing. And so I, I want to pray with the psalmist. The psalmist says in Psalm 86, Give me an undivided heart that I might fear your name. Like, Lord, make it, there's no competition. Like, just make no competition. And I ask you, how do you get that undivided, undivided heart? How do you get there where you say, Lord, I am undividedly focused on you and what you are trying to do here in, in Waco? How does that happen? I think we need to look at how Jesus had an undivided heart for you. And so Jesus, when, when he was tempted by the devil, and the devil said, you can have all this fame and all these riches, which Jesus created himself, right? <laughs> Jesus stayed the course with you in mind. Like, and Jesus, who like Paul, was on his way to Jerusalem, and like Paul, knew that he was on his way to his own death. And like Paul, out of love for you and me, went anyways. But unlike Paul, Jesus didn't go with a band of friends around him. Unlike Paul, Jesus went and all of his friends left him and betrayed him and even his own father left him. And unlike Paul, the Holy Spirit wasn't with him. The Comforter wasn't with him. As he goes, the Holy Spirit's with us, just like he's with Paul, but not with Jesus. Because when Jesus went and he went on the cross, he shouts out, Father, Father. Why have you forsaken me? Why have you left me? Like, he was forsaken and he, he, he was left to be by himself so that you would never be. Like, he does this for you. He loses his life to save yours. He was drained to fill us up. I mean, this is Jesus' lasting losing legacy. It's one of loss that he loses his life for you and me. That he gives up everything, everything for you and me. But that's not just it. That's not the end of the story. He doesn't just lose his life, right? Because when he loses his life, all that he gains is far better. That what he gains here is now he is now resurrected. And he's now sitting on the throne forever. And he buys you back. And I love that picture of he's buying you back with his blood. That it's purchased. It is bought for. He has the receipt because he rose from the grave. And in that act of selflessness, that act of satisfying the wrath of God, and that he loses his life, it gives his life away, he frees us and he makes us more than conquerors. Like, he frees you to have access to God, but now he also frees you to reconsider your lasting legacy. So it's not how much can I attain, how much wealth, how much fame, how much glory. You're able now to say, how do I want to be remembered? And it doesn't have to be about you. I suggest that we, like Paul, we be known as a loser, one who loses their life for another's sake, because Jesus lost his for yours. 
And so ask yourself, how can I sacrifice my life for my friends? How can I lay them down? And that sacrifice might be something more of speaking up. That sacrifice might be, might be a, a, as small as, as hurting your reputation. It might be as big as, as, as leaving a friend group. Whatever that may mean, out, out of love for someone. And so may that drive you, because Jesus loved you that he left heaven and took on flesh and, and became a, a baby, but he rose and he was now walking around and he experienced all the, all the pains of this life. And then he experienced the whips and the lashes and the crown of thorns for you and me. And so as, as we go this week and we think of our own lasting legacy, obviously Jesus is, is going to be far greater, but that, that is something we look at. That as he has loved me and sacrificed for me, may I love and sacrifice for my neighbor, for my community, for my city. Let's pray.